You're listening to the Million Praying Moms podcast, where we believe every mom is uniquely designed by God for His purpose, but also a part of something much bigger than she could ever be alone. Authors and moms, Erin Mooring and Brooke McLaughlin. Hey, that's us. Hey, it is. We're going to help you make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. Listen in on real-life conversations with the experts about real issues parents face today and learn practical ways to focus on Christ as you seek wisdom and hope for the difficult job of raising children in today's world. If you're ready to handle life with grace because you've been in the presence of God, you're in the right place. Here are your hosts, teachers, writers, speakers, moms, and lovers of all things cozy, comfortable, and coffee-related, Brooke and Erin. Hey there, friends. You're listening to episode number 16 of the Million Praying Moms podcast, where each week we're talking about the real issues Christian parents face today. If you haven't already, we would really appreciate your support in leaving a review of our show on iTunes. These help other people find the Million Praying Moms podcast, and they help us keep going as well. We need your encouragement. So just click review, then select ratings and reviews and write a review, and then let us know what you love about the podcast. Awesome, guys. It only takes a couple seconds, and we so deeply appreciate your reviews and your feedback. They're so encouraging to us. And when you leave one, you might just hear us read it out loud here on the podcast, which would be really cool to hear your name on the podcast. So take just a few minutes right now to go take care of that, and then listen for us to read your review on air. Before we jump into today's interview, we want to make sure you have pre-ordered your autumn edition of Pray the Word Journal. We're calling it Volume 2 of our Wisdom Edition. Volume 1 was when we covered Proverbs, but um, this time around, the first part of it focuses on praying through the book believed to have been written by the wisest man to have ever lived, King Solomon, David's son. The more I've studied about wisdom and prayed for it for my children over the years, you know, we've spent so long in the book of Proverbs a few months ago, and now as we're moving into Ecclesiastes, I have become more convinced, more and more convinced, that it pretty much tops the list of character traits I want for my kids to have as they navigate life. Wisdom is absolutely vital, and it all starts with having a correct understanding of who the Lord is and what that means for our kids' lives. I'm pretty excited to dive into the deeper wisdom that we're going to get as we go through Ecclesiastes. I am too, but I am also equally excited about the second part of our autumn edition because it actually takes us all the way through uh, the end of 2019. I can't believe we're even talking about that, but it is a good thing. So last year, we offered a smaller edition of Pray the Word Journal to take us through Advent. This year, we decided let's just include it right inside of the main journal. So you're going to seamlessly transition right from praying for wisdom to praying through scriptures that help you anticipate the arrival of Christ without needing to get a separate journal all in one place. I think that's pretty exciting. I love that too. And we also have a really special time-sensitive bonus for every new quarterly member. So what that means is that when you sign up to be a quarterly member, you're automatically receiving Pray the Word Journal, the new edition, every quarter. So if you're on the fence right now thinking, should I join the membership? Should I um, should I just buy the journal, just, just one copy? Then I think this might change your mind. 
Yeah. So not only is the Pray the Word journal less expensive when you're a member, that's a key, but through September 1st, just a few days from now, when you sign up as a new member, you will receive a brand new product we have just released. It's called 30 Reasons to Praise God. This 30-day gratitude journal is a bonus for Pray the Word Journal members to use during the month of November, which believe it or not, guys, it's just around the corner. Thanksgiving is upon us. It's coming. It's designed to help you focus on something other than all the craziness that comes with the holiday season. Yeah, this year we decided that instead of focusing on all the hype, which there's a lot of it, we just want to focus on God. So we put together 30 days of reasons we can all praise God straight from the scripture. Each day focuses on a different aspect of God's character, something true about him that should make our hearts want to praise. And it gives you room in the journal to respond in written form. Even when life is a struggle, we always have reasons to praise God. Amen to that. So right now, the only way to get a copy of 30 Reasons to Praise God is by becoming a quarterly member of our Pray the Word Journal program. And when you do, it's yours absolutely free, but only through September 1st. On September 2nd, the price of 30 Reasons to Praise God will go up for new and existing members to $10. And for single purchases, it will be $20. So guys, this is a no-brainer to take advantage of this deal right away. Free is better than $10. Free is definitely better than $20. 30 Reasons to Praise God is worth $20, but why pay that when you can get it for free? I mean, come on. It is a no-brainer. So visit www.praythewordjournal.com for more details and pre-order your Pray the Word journal before the prices change. Okay, Erin, let's move on to the topic for today. I'm so excited to have our resident girl mom with us to talk about something I think will really resonate with the girl moms out there. But as always, help us boy moms understand the things that boy, that our boys are encountering. You know, anytime I learn something about the way that girls are dealing with the world around them today, it helps me know how to prepare my boys. And so I always appreciate that information. Today's episode is called Raising Esters in a World of Kardashians. And I love that title. Oh my gosh, I think that's so great. And Terry Lynn Underwood is our girl mom content manager at Million Praying Moms the author of Praying for Girls, Asking God for the Things They Need Most, and Mom to Cassidy, who I believe was just accepted into nursing school, right? She was, yes. Yes, we're so excited. So can I just say- excited to talk to you here. Yes, can I just say that I think the last time you were on the podcast, you told us that it's very unlikely that anybody would ever get accepted to nursing school at this particular school the first time they apply, and yet she did. She did. She was actually on the wait list. And so um, her best friend got notified when they first sent out acceptance letters six weeks ago. And Cassidy actually was not accepted in nursing school. She had backup applied to the radiology and sonography programs and was not accepted to them. And then she found out um, just a couple of days ago that she was in. So now we are on a mad rush (laughs) to get all the things done. But by the time this airs, she will actually have begun her journey toward becoming an RN. That is so exciting. Awesome. So um, we are ready to dive in and really talk about, this is just such a fantastic topic today. 
I think everybody can relate to, you know, the Kardashian mindset and how that has impacted our girls. I think it's, it's important and it's something we need to talk about. And it came from a post that you wrote for the Million Praying Moms blog, which is also titled Raising Esters in a World for, Full of Kardashians. So tell us why you chose that title and what you were hoping to communicate with the blog. Well, I want to say, first up, this was not at all intended to be a slam about the Kardashian or Jenner families. Um, it's really just a reflection of our culture where our my daughter and all of her friends and girls that are younger than her and older than her, um, girls in our youth group, just all the girls I know, they know who the Kardashians are and they follow them on social media and they're very aware of what's going on in their lives. And um, so I... I felt like what I wanted to do was really communicate that when we are looking at what beauty is, we need to look um, deeper than whatever, whomever is popular right now um, in our world, and that we need to look at more eternal truths about beauty than just um, passing reality. So how does the issue of beauty affect our girls differently today than it affected us when we were growing up? Well, I think the biggest thing is exposure. Um, when I was growing up in the 80s, we compared ourselves to the girls we went to school with and whoever was on Dynasty or Dallas, right? So, I mean, like those were the standards because yeah. that was all we really saw. Whoever was on the cover of Seventeen Magazine or Teen Beat or whatever. And so now our girls are constantly bombarded with different images. Um, I was looking at a lot of statistics about all of this because it's just something because we do student ministry and college ministry also that I deal with a lot. Um, and I read this one statistic that shocked me and I think it'll shock you all too. 98% of girls feel immense pressure from external sources to look a certain way. 98%. So I think this tells us that this is not something that just affects girls that are like, don't have good parents or whatever. Like this is the reality for almost every girl that we know. Well, and, that and I think the gap as well between physical looks, because you're, if you've got 98% of girls, then you have girls who uh, by the world standards truly are beautiful. You have some by the world standards who maybe would fall, you know, on a different spot. And all of them, whether they're truly physically beautiful or not, are feeling like they have to meet some kind of standard. So th that tells me that there's a, there's a um, disconnect somewhere. Like when they're looking in the mirror, they're not actually seeing themselves for who they truly are. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That completely makes sense, Brooke. Um, I think it's just important for us to understand, and it gets worse as they get older. Um, that same study said that 53% of girls age 13 are unhappy with their bodies, and by age 17, that increases to 78%. I mean, this is so just pervasive in every way, and I, I think we have to recognize that social media has changed the game. I mean, it's just affecting – girls are more likely to be – depressed because of social media. It changes everything. And it's different for boys. I mean, it's just one of those things that has a radically different impact on girls than it does on boys. Um, 
studies are showing that 40% more girls are active on social media than boys, which doesn't surprise me and probably doesn't surprise you all as mothers of boys. But I think it would surprise a lot of people just to think about that's a staggering difference in behavior between boys and girls in something that is very common in our world, which is social media. And so the impacts of that on girls are, I think, always going to be greater because they're more likely to be involved. Yeah. You know, as I look, I follow certain um, teenagers that, you know, are are a part of our world or or you can even see it really in, in adults as well. The women or the girls are the ones that are posing for the pictures. I mean, unless you're following a bodybuilder or a model, a male model or something like that, generally speaking, the the type of posts on social media that girls have are radically different. Even if they're both on social media, the type of posts are completely different. The girls are showing off something about their body, some, some kind of, you know, angling the camera the right way, those kind of things. Uh, we were at the beach, had the, the um, privilege to go with a group of girlfriends to the beach back in April. And we were just amazed as we watched this group of teenagers just over to the left of us posing for all of these pictures on the beach. I mean, I don't just mean like they had a selfie stick or they were like, you know, trying to angle the camera the right way. I mean, they were like laying on top of each other and they were like the the poses for these were crazy. The things that they were trying to do to get a, a good picture. So it really does, I think, affect the girls and the boys differently. And you see it even in the way that they're posting. For sure. And I think we have to recognize that there is a direct link. I mean, study after study is establishing a direct link in girls with increase in social media use and decrease in self-esteem. It also leads to an increase in anxiety and depression. And I mean, my daughter's on social media. She's been on social media since she was 13 and we've monitored and we've made some good choices with it. We've made some bad choices with it. We're totally normal parents. We did some things right. We did some things wrong and we did some things we're waiting to find out. You know, I mean, like I don't have, I don't know that there's cut and dry answers except this. I think we have to be more vigilant about monitoring, especially as girl moms. Um, one of the studies I looked at, and this blew me away, was that 61% of girls report that their parents have never checked their social media, which seems crazy because we check their homework and we check, like, I, I wonder how many, I don't know if you all in your school districts, like we can get online. Well, we can't, well, I guess we still can now casting college. I don't, but when she was in high school and middle school, like we could get online every single day and check her grades. Yeah. I did not do that because my personality, that would have made me a hot, anxious mess. But I mean, I know parents that did that, checked grades every single day and yet never looked at their kids' social media and would say, well, that would be a violation of her privacy. And I'm like, what? Checking her grades is like, in the end result, checking their social media and monitoring their emotional health and where they're at relationally has more long-term impact than their grade in social studies in seventh grade. I mean, (laughs) surely we can all agree on that. (laughs) Absolutely, for sure. And I think it's important too, because, you know, we've heard from other uh, people that we've interviewed here and there that, I mean, it's it's fairly common knowledge that colleges, uh, future employers, they're going to look at our kids' 
social media, and it is going to impact the kinds of, you know, it really can impact their future, where they go, where they don't go, what they get accepted to and what they don't. And I think, you know, we have a, a generation of, of parents who are super consumed with getting their kids into, into good colleges, and they'll do whatever it takes to, to get this experience on their resume and to get, you know, um, this kind of extracurricular and, and all these things because apparently just good grades are not enough to get you into college anymore. <laughs> but, you know, we, have, we, we try to create all these opportunities for our kids, but we're missing this one crucial element that is actually impacting them maybe even more than all those other things we're trying to control to help them move forward. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. And I think um, the biggest impact we see with girls is that it creates an unrealistic expectation of what beauty is and of how they're supposed to look because um, social media is so carefully curated. I crack up all the time, even if I look at Cassidy's and she has like, if she's had a boyfriend that they've broken up, then she goes back and deletes every one of those pictures as if it never happened, but it did happen. Right. I mean, she did have those experiences. And I think that to me is incredibly dangerous because they're not being honest about what's really going on in their lives. And I will say in this one area, and I try to be really careful about all the different platforms on social media, but um, Snapchat is the one that's hardest really to, um, be fake on because it's driven by images of right now. And so, you know, I'm always shocked that Cassie and her friends will have these whole conversations, how bad they look and they're, you know, they haven't done anything, but then their Instagram pictures look perfect. And I think that just reflects that desire within our girls to be accepted for exactly who they are as contrasted with that sense they have of the world that they're not accepted unless they look a certain way. And I think that is just a great example of how that plays out really in their lives. So is wanting physical beauty bad? I mean, should we be keeping our daughters from makeup and pretty dresses, manicures, all that stuff and things that focus their, you know, their lives on worldly beauty? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think... I love all that stuff. So I think if you have a daughter, if you have a daughter who likes to go get manicures and pedicures and like my daughter loves makeup and we watch makeup tutorials together and she's way better at all of that than I am. But, um, I don't know that anything like that is inherently wrong. I think the question is that we have to recognize those things can become symptomatic of something that's deeper. And so, um, I, I said when I was writing um, Praying for Girls, the first topic we covered was um, identity and knowing who they are, praying for our girls to know who they are. And like one of the illustrations that I gave is, you know, when our daughters come to us, especially when they're older and they're like, does this shirt look okay or whatever? They're not really asking, does the shirt look okay? They're asking, am I okay? And I think as moms, the greatest gift that we give our daughters is to constantly point them back to the truth of who they are in Christ, right? Because it's so important. And you guys, I'm not going to throw any more statistics, I promise, but this one is huge to me. One study that was done by Dove, which they did this whole big study on the real, real girls, real pressures, yes, all this. And it was so, such a great study. And one of the things they found was that 70% of girls ages 15 to 17 avoid normal daily activities like going to school if they don't feel good about how they look. Now, I want you to think about that. Like, 
we've all had jobs outside. We're all really fortunate right now. We get to work at home. So nobody knows how we look on the daily, right? But <laughs> like these girls, can you imagine not going to work because you're having a bad hair day, right? Or because you have, you know, a pimple on your face. And like that is, that drives these girls so much that 70% of girls self-reported. So it really is probably even higher than that have like not gone to school or called in sick for work or something that is a normal daily activity because they were, they didn't feel good about how they looked. That My mom would have been like, problem. go to school. <laughs> I would oh. never have been allowed to do that though. <laughs> for sure. Like I can hear that conversation with my mom right now and it ends with my tail in the car. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it also would end with me commiserating with my friends because they had a bad hair day and they had to go to school. And so now we have this culture where that is not the expectation that our looks have become primary. And even if that's not true, it's how they feel. And perceived reality um, is sometimes a bigger motivation than actual truth. And I think we have to recognize that as parents and how that impacts um, our girls and how it impacts boys. So like, you know, I was thinking about some things that were like teasing that happened to me in high school. And, um, you know, there were things that were said to me and about me because of the way my body looked, which was basically like a beanpole. Um, and so I can remember being very hurt by that and very upset by that and questioning if there was value in me, you know, as a girl because of that. And I think magnify that now by what girls see around them 24 seven, wherever they go, whatever they're doing, they're surrounded by curated, airbrushed, not reality. And it's huge. And I think um, for our boys, they need to understand that those little comments that are made just to get the laugh can be the reason that a girl doesn't come to school tomorrow. And it's because it's not just that one comment by a boy, but it's that added to all the internal pressure and then all the external things they're seeing and hearing. And it, it weighs on girls, I think, at a different level than it did. I think we were probably more well-adjusted because our lives were different. Yeah, and I think it almost is a call for us, you know, as you're talking about that from the perspective of, of the way that boys speak to girls, it's almost like our boys have a bigger responsibility now to care about other people. It's almost like it's a call, a higher level call for humanity now because of, you know, understanding what they're going through. But I think also on the flip side, it's, it's going to be important for us as mothers of boys to help our boys understand that what they're seeing as they're scrolling is not actually an expectation that that girl can meet all the time. Like she's, sure. she's portraying that as her every day of, of what she is and who she is. But if, if he actually believes that he's going to be disappointed because she can't live up to that all the time. None of us. Right. Right. And I think that is a very important thing that as we talk to our girls about beauty, we also need to be talking to our boys about beauty and, and helping all of our children understand that our beauty is found in being made in the image of Christ, in the image of God. Like it is because we are image bearers that we are beautiful because we serve a beautiful God. And so as we reflect him, that is what is beautiful.
So I'm going to be really honest and admit here that I have for a very long time struggled with beauty. I was one of those kids in school who did get, you know, the negative comments um, here and there from boys and girls. And I'm 41 years old and I can tell you still when it happened and who said it and what the circumstances were. Now, maybe that is a, maybe that is a clear indicator that I still have some work of forgiveness to do in my life. I don't know, but I think we don't, we tend to not forget the things that really hurt us and shape us. And we, you know, we just can internalize those things. But I think I speak for a lot of women when I say that I rarely look in the mirror and see what I would describe as beauty looking back at me, but God has been really changing the way that I define the word beauty. And uh, it's beginning over time to look more like his definition of beauty in scripture. So my question for you, knowing that we probably have some of those moms listening right now who have experienced the same thing for years and years, our definition of beauty has been defined by magazine covers, television shows, movies of women who, uh, who's, you know, who we can't meet. We can't meet that expectation. We're not equipped to, we, we weren't born the same way, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, and half the time they're airbrushed. So it's not reality anyways, but we've been shaped by that so long that it's become deeply ingrained in the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about the world around us. So how can we help those moms begin the journey back to a pure understanding of beauty. And this is the reason I ask this question. It's because I think I'm right in saying that we can't really teach our daughters to have the right understanding of what beauty is if we have not embraced it for ourselves, because we will out ourselves in the things that we say and the things that we do. Oh, for sure. Um, I think for me, like with my daughter, body image is, it comes up and it actually comes up for me way more than it comes up from her. Um, turning 45 was not a happy day for me. And since then I feel like everything in my world has changed and I've been dealing with some health things that have impacted my weight. And it's just been really a struggle, even going to the gym five days a week, like just to feel good about, you know, how my body looks. And I'm really fortunate. I have a husband who is very encouraging and very supportive and constantly telling me how beautiful I am to him. And, and I spend a lot of time in the word and I still struggle with that. So I don't think it's unusual at all. I think the key for us is that as we speak truth to our daughters, we speak it to ourselves as well. And for those who maybe don't have girls um, in their home, you know, girls and you speak truth over them. And I think we're also very honest and say, this is really hard for me. I'm not asking you to do this because it's easy. I'm telling you that this is hard. And we ask those, you know, like for me, I have my daughter and a lot of other college age girls in my life. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, guys pray for me because I'm really struggling with how I look right now. And I don't want my thought life to be consumed with that. And I don't, I don't want to not be in pictures because of how I feel like I look. Um, and so I think it's, it's part of it is just that real honesty with ourselves and then with others. And one of the best exercises that I've ever used with myself in this is I tell myself, okay, if my friend came to me and said, 
I feel like I'm fat and I look terrible and blah, blah. You know, all the things I say to myself, if my friend said that to me, what would I say to her and where would I point her? And so I speak those truths um, to myself as I would to my best friends because I need to hear them that way too. And I think that seems, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, that's kind of, you know, weird. (laughs) And maybe it is, but it really is helpful, I think, to speak truth over ourselves. We speak truth over our children. We speak truth over our friends. We speak truth over all kinds of situations. And then we neglect speaking truth to ourselves and over ourselves. And so I really, I've come to believe that all of those things that I pray for Cassidy in this area, I, I pray them for myself probably more than I do for her. She's much better. A great example of that is a few months ago, she went on a cruise and she was buying all new clothes for it. And so she said, mom, I she came home and she told me, she goes, I had to buy shorts and she told me what size they were. And she said, she goes, but I don't care because they look good and I feel good in them. And I just got to thinking about that. And then a few weeks later, I was having to buy new clothes in a different size than what I would prefer to wear. And I was like, do you believe I had to buy this size? And Scott looked at me and he goes, but Cassidy, be like Cassidy, you know? Be like. And I thought, that's so true. I mean, here's this child that I have spoken all of this truth over and like encouraged her. And when she said that about her shorts, I was like, you go, girl. I'm so proud of you. And then I was doing the opposite. And so I just realized that I, we can learn from them too, I guess. We really need to be wise about all of it. But I think speaking truth to and over ourselves is such an important thing. Yeah. So I, I wanted to put kind of the flip side in there. Um, Brooke was mentioning getting comments about the way she looked and, and making that her making her self-conscious and thinking about that. And I was just thinking about the girl that nobody ever says anything about, like doesn't mention anything about whether she looks good or bad. And um, I was just having a conversation with some girlfriends the other day and they were both saying that they remember how much they weighed in middle school. And I was like, wow. I was like, I don't remember weighing myself until after I got married. Like that was not something I thought about a lot. And I started to think back over like what people said or what people didn't say. And this friend mentioned that there were older siblings, friends around commenting on her body and stuff. And that made her think about that a lot. Well, for me, I don't remember thinking about how I looked much. And when a boy, like my first boyfriend said anything about me being pretty, I felt very uncomfortable because I was like, I don't. I don't relate to that. I don't know why you would say that. I couldn't accept a compliment on it. And I thought I would just love for you to talk on our daughters, our girls' needs to know they are beautiful. Um, is there is that already ingrained in them? And if they're not getting that message from their parents or their important people in their life, are they going to go looking for it elsewhere? Are they going to have a hard time believing that God created them beautiful? Um, have you know? What's your thoughts on that? perspective. That just came to my mind because when we were having this conversation. I was like, yeah, I was really uncomfortable when my first boyfriend said I was pretty. And it, it took me a long time to like accept that and to be like, oh yeah, I am. Because I just didn't think about myself that way. And I thought, huh, I know there are girls out there that are looking for someone to tell them they're beautiful. And 
are parents doing a disservice if they don't say anything about beauty at all? Do you know what I mean? Like, how yeah, do you handle yeah. that? Because we know there are girls out there that go looking for affirmation of how they look elsewhere because they're not hearing it from the important people in their lives. Like, is there a balance? What's the balance there? I think, okay, I would say first that we have to be, like we talk about a lot, being a student of your child yeah. and like understanding their personality and where they're struggling. And so like, I feel the Bible says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So the Bible speaks even to Jesus growth, um, physically and mentally and relationally and spiritually. And so I think we should be definitely speaking to all of those areas in our children's lives. Um, I was never the mom that was like, Oh, you're the most beautiful girl in the whole world to my daughter, because that's ridiculous. Right. Everybody right. first, everybody thinks that, and we can't all be right. And, but I also never said, Oh, you're the smartest girl in the whole world. Oh, you're the most talented dancer in the whole world. Like instead my goal. And I learned this from my parents, I think to be very specific with my compliments. And even now I will say, Oh, that outfit looks really good on you you know, versus, oh man, you are so pretty. Like I'll say, oh, you look really nice today. I love the way your eye makeup, you know, makes your eyes look bigger or whatever. I try to be very specific, not just in appearance compliments, but like in relational things. Like when I see her struggling with a relationship and I know that it's hard for her, I'll say, you know, one of the things I love most about you is how loyal you are. And so I love that you're struggling this relationship is because you want it to work. And I think that's such an admirable quality, you know? And so I try to always be very specific. And I think um, for most of us, it's much easier to say, oh, you look great today, or to say nothing because we're so afraid of turning our girls into like divas, right? So we don't, we don't want to spend any time focusing on that. But that's not fair to them, I think, because we all inside of us, want to believe that someone finds us attractive, not just physically, but in every way. And so I think we think if we think of it in terms of being attractive to people, then, you know, somebody's smile can be very attractive to, to other people. Um, somebody's eyes that light up when they're talking about something they love can be very attractive to people. And so I think if we look at it in terms of that, being attractive to people um, as a means of connecting with them and pointing them to the Lord, then that gives us the opportunity to share those things. But I'm a big, I'm really big on very specific. I'm big on specific apologies and I'm big on specific compliments. <laughs> I like specificity in my life. So I tend to be that way. I guess you would probably have to ask Cassidy, though, if I've done a good job about doing it or not. But I feel like I do think that we all need to hear that. And I think the first and most important place that we hear that we are attractive to others um, is at home. You know, I think it's important. I think, I think it's important for our little boys, too. You know, we have a nephew who is six. And I tell him all the time, Samuel, when you smile, the whole room lights up. Because I want him to know that that is attractive, you know, and that that is beautiful. And um, I think those are the kinds of things that we say to our children that that nestle in their hearts um, in a way that maybe just saying, oh, you're so smart. You're so much smarter than those. Are you the best ball player on the field? Because they may be 
smarter than everybody in their class and they may be the best ball player on the field, but ultimately there's going to be someone smarter and there's going to be someone better. Yeah. And so I think if we really focus on saying, I see this in you and it's beautiful to me and I think it's beautiful to the Lord, I think that transcends gender. Mm-hmm. And that those are things that we need to be intentional. And I think the greatest gift we give to the other kids in our lives that don't live in our home is to not make the assumption that anyone is telling those things to them. And so we say them. So I try to say to the kids at church, those same things that I would say to my daughter, whether they have great parents quote or not great parents. Right. I try to be the one that's speaking those things to them. Yeah. We don't that answer your question. Aaron? Yeah. We don't want to push our kids towards pride and vanity, but we also know that God created us all in his image and that is beautiful. And we can be the ones that tell them that and help them realize that so that they're not looking for uh, the world to tell them that they're beautiful in some way. Yeah, I think that I, I love that you asked that, even though I wasn't really prepared to answer it. But I think, <laughs> I think that's a great thought is that as we are pointing out those things in our children that are delightful and that are beautiful, um, not just in their appearance, but in their character, in their abilities, all of those things, that we are, in essence, pointing out things that are beautiful about God, mm-hmm. right? Amen. And reminding them that they are image bearers of a God who is beautiful and who is able and who is wise. And so I think that those are important things for us to say. Such a great conversation. Okay, I'm going to throw you again, because I have another off script question for you. (laughs) I would, you know, I'm thinking about the mom that's listening right now, a mom of a young daughter, and, you know, maybe a 10 or 11 year old daughter, maybe younger, who is already getting asked by her daughter, can I have a phone, mom? Can I get on social media, mom? Can I have Facebook? Can I have Instagram? Can I have Snapchat? All my friends have it. And the reality is that I often said to my parents, well, everybody's doing it, but they weren't. I do feel like on some level now when our kids come to us and say, mom, everybody has Instagram. Everybody has Snapchat. There's an element of truth in that. Like I actually think my kids might be the only ones that don't have it <laughs> um, or, or a slim crowd, a very slim crowd in their, in their community. Yeah, it really can be true. Yeah. So what would you say to that mom who is trying to decide, you know, based on everything we've just said and, and now that she's hearing how, and she knows on some level for herself because she was impacted by the, the way other women look even before there was Instagram and Snapchat and those kind of things. But now with it being such so much, so much more in your face as she's trying to make that decision on whether or not she should allow her daughter to have it. I'd love to know what you would say to her. Well, I would say to her <laughs> that I personally experienced um, pressure as did my daughter, but I experienced pressure from her peers her peers, parents, and other people in our church who were, you know, before and in our community, Cassie, we didn't let, allow her to have social media until she turned 13. Um, and I took so much flack about that. And, you know, my husband was on staff at the church and I was like, I can't believe you're not doing this. And I think some of it was because people felt like me not doing it. We've talked about this before, I think, and you've mentioned it, that somehow people believe that if we make a different choice for our kids, we're saying their choice is wrong. And to some extent, I think we all make the choices that we believe are best for our kids. And we have a tendency to kind of translate best for our kids into best period. And 
And I know that I have done that as a mom more than once and have apologized several times. And there are probably still over the years will come up things that I feel like I need to call someone and apologize for. But I think, um, for me, the answer that I always gave that kind of left people, if it's other adults with nothing really to say was that I just was uncomfortable telling my daughter it was okay to lie. And that because the social media requires that you're 13 to have them, that it was, it just made me feel uncomfortable. And I didn't want to tell her that in some situations it's okay to lie. So that was my answer to parents. Now my answer to my child was um, honestly, sometimes because I said so, um, because I'm the mom and I know more than you do. (laughs) But also as she got closer and closer to 13, I just, I told her very honestly that Facebook's job was not to protect her. Facebook's job was to make money. Um, And my job was to protect her and the world's job in general, even people at church who loved her and cared about her, their job was not to protect her at the same level that mine was and that there were going to be decisions I made that she did not like that she didn't agree with. And there were going to be decisions I made that really she didn't like me because I made them. And there were going to be decisions that I made that I could regret later. And I promised her that if I ever regretted a decision I made and the Lord ever laid conviction on me about it, I would come back to her and tell her I was sorry. Um, but I told her that the bottom line was that ultimately I was going to answer for how she was raised and not other people besides her dad. And so I had to do what was going to enable me to stand before the Lord and give an account. And it was not a good answer for her. She didn't like it. She didn't like me. Um, There was a lot of conflict in our house. I just had to make the decision that I was going to be okay with that. And I think that's what's so hard for us is that it's very hard in our world, even in our Christian world, to say, I am okay with my child not liking me for a while (laughs) about this because I have to do what I believe is best for her in the long term. And we do that in every other area of their lives. If our kids say, generally speaking, I've decided I don't want to go to eighth grade. I'm just going to skip this year (laughs) because it's not fun. We're not going to say, oh, okay, well, we'll just take this year off and you can go back to high school next year. Like, no, no, (laughs) we do what's best for them because we know more than they do. And so I don't know why social media becomes this one spot where we cave in Um, when we wouldn't in so many other areas that we do. And I see it all the time, but I just think that it boils down to this. Um, You have to be okay with your kid, not liking your choice and not liking you and telling you they don't like you. And then I think you have to be willing to hold firm. And so if you say you can't have it till you turn 13, you can't decide when they're 12 and a half. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and give in because they've been good about this. You have to wait. And then likewise, if they get it without your permission, you have to be okay saying, okay, well now we're not talking about 13. We're talking about something entirely different, you know? And I think it's all very hard. These are the hard things of parenting. And I think most people, um, we, a lot of times we don't have other friends who are making those same choices. And so it's really hard for us to do it because we do feel very alone. Yes. It is so much easier to make decisions, hard decisions when you're doing it in a community of like-minded people who are all making the same decisions. It's very, very hard to be the only one. And I, I think, you know, as much as I 100% agree with everything you've just said, I also think for my kids, cause you know, my, my 
oldest is 14 right now and he still has no social media. He does have a phone, but he doesn't have any social media right now. And, and we have all kinds of reasons for why we've chosen that. And I'm not trying to say that 14 is a hard and fast rule that anybody should follow, but it, it has been important to me to communicate to him that I know that that is causing him some difficulty. Like I know that it's painful for him not to have that. And I am sorry about that. Like I, I don't love that it's causing, it really is causing him to be one of the few who don't have something. I don't love that for him. I don't love the way that feels for him. I wish it didn't have to be that way, but I still have to, he and his dad or, you know, his dad and I still have to make the decision that we feel like is right for him. And the reality is, and my parents used to say this to me all the time too, I'm not raising so-and-so. Yes. I'm not raising your friend. Becky, and I'm not raising your friend, Joe, and I'm raising you. And just as you said, I am answerable before the Lord for the way I raise you, not the the way your friends are raised. And so it's just one of those things that we have to deal with. But I think there's a level of compassion we can have for for our kids in saying, I really do understand. And I'm sorry that it has to be this way. I think that's a super important point. And I'm glad that you made that because I do, I think we have to acknowledge that our children do live in a world where when we delay them getting social media, for any time. (laughs) I mean, I know six year olds on Instagram. So, I mean, you know, if we delay our children getting social media, um, or delay, there's a lot of issues that are the same thing. Delay wearing makeup, going back to beauty. I mean, delay getting, I can remember when it was a big deal when I got my first pair of actual pantyhose, I moved from tight, which that definitely tells how old I am. But I mean, like it was a huge big deal and I had to wait for a very long time. And I didn't just one day get to wear makeup. I like got to wear colored lip gloss and then I got to, you know, I mean, it's like this whole progression and we don't really have that anymore. Like we don't have rites of passage really for our children anymore. And I think we have to acknowledge because our culture has changed so much that there is a weight on our children that we did not feel in a lot of those areas. My friends weren't allowed to wear pantyhose until they turned 13 either. Right. But that is not true now for kids. And I, I think acknowledging and being compassionate with them, um, is super important. I think it, it may not, it may not make a difference. (laughs) Now, no, in your experience, like, I can imagine with my, it did not, it would not have made a difference. I don't think a lot of things with my child, she would have only been able to see her position. Yeah. That's because she was a child. And I think we have to also acknowledge that, you know, we can't expect our children to understand what we understand. We can't expect them to see. I cannot expect my 19 year old to see with my 47 year old eyes. She does not have that experience, but she can take all of her experience and say, oh, well, you know, (laughs) this is what I see and this is what I believe. And she's, she means that. And I, I think that giving our kids the opportunity, like I love Aaron shared recently that they had made a, um, her son had made a a position paper basically about why he should get a phone, you know? And, and I love that because I think it, it forces us to evaluate the merits of their position and knowing our children. And, you know, I told Cassie, the only regret I had about social media was that I let her have it at 13 and not 16 so that she should be thankful. And she just laughed and she said, I wish that you had waited. And I think that's something to consider is that, you know, in the end, they're probably going to look back and say, you know, you probably could have waited longer. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I mean, I, I can see that in my own life. I can look back and, and see areas where my literally fantastic parents gave in to something because I wanted them to. And now at 41, I can look back and say, man, I, you know, I wish they'd been a little stricter and my parents were pretty strict, but you know, I, I can see that, but it's the gift of time and perspective and our kids just don't have that right now. Right. And I think honestly acknowledging that is really important for us. I love that you said that, Brooke. Yeah. Well, Terry Lynn, you know that our emphasis here at Million Praying Moms is um, on talking about the issues that are affecting our kids today, real, real issues that Christian parents are facing, but we also want to do it from the perspective of teaching people how to pray through those things, because we believe that prayer is not a last resort. It actually should be the first and best response we have to the, the challenges of parenting. And so we thought it would be a great idea to transition a little bit and talk about that. What, you know, as, as we're raising daughters and sons in a culture that seems to be somewhat obsessed with beauty, somewhat, um, you know, that, that doesn't always present themselves in a real and authentic way, um, how can we be praying for our daughters in this area? What can we be praying for them? as we're trying to teach them the truth about God's beauty? I think for me, um, and I guess this is probably a relatively shameless plug for my book, but I, it's why I started with four chapters on praying for their identity. Um, I don't think any of us can have an accurate view of ourselves outside of understanding who God says we are. And so you know, in those first four chapters of the book, we talk of, I talked about being an image bearer and why that matters and, you know, how to, how to help your daughter understand that regardless of the age that she is, but also that she is deeply loved, that she is known and that she is accepted by God. And I think sometimes we work so hard to make our children feel accepted by us that we for, and loved by us that we forget to remind them that our love and our acceptance is going to fail. I mean, we will always love them, but we may not always love them well, right? And so I think it's important for us to point them to a love that never fails and to an acceptance that is always true because it's rooted in God's character that's unchanging and not in ours. And so I think the best gift in this area that we give our children is to be praying that they will know who they are in Christ, um, boy or girl. Like, I just think it makes such a profound difference when our children find their identity rooted in Christ, that they're much, much better equipped to deal with the identity and self-esteem issues that they're going to struggle with in the world. That's great. I I think that's a really important focus and the perfect way to kind of summarize the whole topic for today. Like that there's so much identity tied up in beauty and social media and platform and all of that that our kids are facing that we didn't and it's more important than ever to find that grounding in who they are in Christ. So, we always like to wrap up our shows by asking our guests to share one verse or passage from the Bible that they are currently praying for their children. So, what are you praying for Cassidy right now? Well, currently because she is starting nursing school, <laughs> I am praying. Mostly, I find myself praying from the book of James a whole whole lot. Um and I keep circling back around to James when it says when you face trials of many kinds, because 
it's such nursing school is so intense, which all college can be intense, but um, the way her school is set up, they start clinicals almost immediately. And so there's a lot of pressure and I just, I want her to remember to find joy um, when she faces trials and find her when it's hard on the days that it's hard and she's struggling to remember that God has brought her to this point and that he will carry her through. That's beautiful. I love that so much. I'm just listening to you today, Terry Lynn, and, and I'm reminded of what a gift a godly mother is to a child, to have someone to pour into them and point them back to God's word and help them recenter their identity in Christ when it maybe goes somewhere off to the left or off to the right or when they're struggling with things. What a gift we give our children when we compassionately and lovingly point them back to the truth of God's word. And I just want to pause for a minute and and remember that not every child has that. And so if you're listening right now and you are that mother, you are such a gift to your child. You're not going to get everything right. You're going to make mistakes. There are going to be things that they're going to look back on their life and they're going to say, I wish mom had done this differently. But if you are praying for your child, if you are pouring the word of God into their life, There is nothing better that you can do for them, and it's the best gift you can give them. Terry Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today. I'd love for you to take just a second as we close and tell our listeners where they can learn more about you. Um, You can find me on all the socials since we've talked about it today. (laughs) Um, I'm at Terry Lynn U on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and at TerryLynnUnderwood.com. And um, I would love to connect with you and encourage you, um, not just about helping your daughter, but also about finding your own identity in Christ. And as always, you can find any specifics from our show in our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com, including a link to Terry Lynn's book, Praying for Girls, Asking God for the Things They Need Most. Tune in next week for another episode of the Million Praying Moms podcast. Our world can feel chaotic and uncertain, but we don't have to live enslaved to fear. Christ has promised me and you his peace and throughout scripture has provided powerful tools and practical steps to help us experience greater freedom. I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, inviting you to join me and my team as together we learn how to starve our fears and feed our faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com or wherever you access podcast content.